We here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So last week we did a bit of a recap, the stock take on our series uh, on complete. And um, every time I do the notes, I need to check what is the number of the, the session that we're busy with. And I see we are busy with session number seven. Uh, so if you missed that, you obviously missed a few building blocks. But uh, we are still camping in Colossians. And um, we're not even past Colossians uh, 2, I think. But just thinking about what it means to be complete or completed. or to, what, what does it mean to have a complete revelation? And that's really something you might think you, you can never attain to. But um, when Paul prays in Ephesians, to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1.17, he prays a specific prayer and he says that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. And that means that you will see with the inner man. But enlightened then means like you walk in a room and you, you don't know what's going on. But as soon as the light goes on, then you can see what's, what's been there all along. And it's not new things that's there, it's just now you can see it. And I think that's so important for us. And we looked at it last week and we said... We, we come to the understanding through the word that we are complete in Christ and people will say amen to that but then there's consequences to saying amen to that and then some people might uh, get a bit uneasy with the consequences but the consequences really is that there's nothing to add and um, that we are perfect. The whole thing often is that we have an, a misunderstanding or we don't have a complete knowledge. So we are not complete in our knowledge or understanding. And Paul didn't pray that they will become more like Christ. He, would, he prayed that they would realize more of what they have, that their eyes will be enlightened to see what already is. And it's a small difference, but it actually has a huge knock-on effect. So one thought that I had this week was, what good is it if Jesus saves us, but he doesn't save us all the way? Like, pity the fool. <laughs> what if God saved us? He made this miraculous plan, sending Jesus, but it's only a partial job. It's not a fool it's not a full out thing. Now, I don't know about you, but the true nature of God that I got to know over the last few years, that's not how God does things. If God does things, He does it proper. If you look at creation, He says, this is it, this is done, this is good. Nothing to add. He's not going to add a new species or send an alien or, or anything like that. Sorry if you are waiting for that. Um, the whole universe is about you. It's about us. And, uh, and that's so important and so beautiful. But what is it? But the Word says, those who receive Christ, if you're free, you are free indeed meaning you're free all the way so that means you don't need to add anything but jesus then is sent as a as, as a obviously an apostle of sorts he's a special messenger from heaven he's the son of god coming down to show us who god is and what god is like but then there's another part of it in that he sends out 12 and these 12 were eyewitnesses they were people who saw lived with and and, and did these things and when um when judas passes away then uh Peter stands up and he says, hey, we must fulfill this, the psalm. We must fulfill the psalm and he must, he, his place must be, he must be replaced because we need to be 12. And then there's a whole reason behind that and it goes back to the tribes. Um, but again, we see the scripture, we see the psalms, the prophecies, we see the fulfillment thereof in the book of Acts. But what then if they pass away? Because there's this whole cessationalism, I don't know if you've heard the term, it's a big word to speak about whether the, the, the apostles and the prophets passed away or not. Now, 12 of them passed away, 13 actually if you count Judas. But they were a specific type of apostle, they were the eyewitnesses. And when, when, how do we know that? When Peter starts speaking 
And he says, hey, we must fulfill this, and it must be someone who were with us since the day Jesus got baptized all the way because he had to be an eyewitness, and that's the requirement according to Scripture. Then Paul shows up, and Paul says in most of his letters, basically all of them, I'm an apostle. By whom? By Christ's authority, appointed by Christ. So he's acting as an apostle, which is what? A special messenger. But he says also, I'm like a, a lot lamiki. I'm the one sort of out of place, out of sorts. But he also saw Christ, but he never saw, we don't know if he never did, but he doesn't recall seeing Christ in the flesh. He saw the risen Christ in, on the road to Damascus, and then also Christ appeared to him in the, in, in the prison later, which is interesting if you read it in, um, in the book of Acts. So there's, there's these special messengers, and then Jesus gave a, a command in Matthew 28, and he says, go into all the world and do what? Tell them something. Teach them. Make disciples is how we interpret it. But God has a heart or a role for those type of people. And um, so what is, what is your understanding of my job description? That's a good question. Don't tell me. <laughs> but if we're not on the same page on what I'm supposed to do, or Natasha and I, then you might be disappointed or you might feel like left out and I might not be aware of it. And then there might be a fence, and then how do we deal with the fence? Well, if we don't know about it, we can't deal with it. But it's important that we have this understanding of what is, what is our place. And Jeremiah 3.15, actually, from the King James says, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. I will give you pastors, shepherds, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. But see there as well, they are according to God's heart. So they must be like, like God's heart, like after God's heart. And that's what David, why David became king, wasn't it? This little guy back out there, no one knew about him, like looking after shepherds. Or no, he was the shepherd looking after sheep. And isn't that what God's about? God is about, listen, there where no one can see you, that's where I'm with you, still. There where you, there's no honor, there's no big podium, there's nothing. But there you still go after the lion to, to save the lamb. You still kill the bear because you are faithful. And that's really why God, I believe, pulled him up from that place and made him king and says, this is a man after my heart. But we need to be aware of this. The word pastor there or shepherd can also be translated special messenger. In the book of Revelation, when it speaks about the angels that were sent to the churches, it's special messengers. It can also be translated pastors. So it's important that we realize there's, there, there's a shepherding, there's a caring, there's a feeding, there's a nurturing. But a big part of it is the message. And that's why a big part of my job is to bring a message, but I don't want to just give it one way. We want to discuss it. We want to chat through it. We want to make it um, obviously our own because you need to not just look at the nice plate of food, but you want to indulge in it. And that's why I say make notes and go study it out for yourselves as well. But another interesting one then in the Old Testament, and we looked at this in a Bible study in a week, is Jonah. And Jonah, like, like Noah, is, is mentioned all throughout the Bible. There's many different places where we see the name Jonah come up. But Jonah 3 and verse 1, this is after, after the, the, the whale or the fish encounter. And uh, Jonah, I was thinking about it last night, lying in my bed. And was like, we have this picture of this spacious area where Jonah walked around and had a little fire in the belly of the, the whale. And it's, I think it was pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I, I think he was like lying flat and like in goo. And the, the word says there was seaweed around his head. And it, it was a place of the dead. He actually speaks about it and he calls it Hades. So it's a symbolic place of the dead, basically. And then funny that in that place he calls back to God. But now after he spit out, it says in verse 1, Now when the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, 
Why the second time? Because the first time he didn't listen. Amen. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. What what, what turned Nineveh around? A message. Delivered by a messenger. Sent by God. If you think about it, the first church in the book of Acts, why are they persecuted? They're not rioting, they're not toy-toying, they don't have a huge arsenal of weaponry, but they have a message. And it's even as if the world, the secular world, realized more the, the power of that message than the church themselves often. Because they are putting effort, money, resources into stopping the spread of a message. Yet, I don't know if we always value the message in that way. I know, like we do, like everyone here today and those online, we, we, we value that, but it is so powerful. So John, Jonah 4 and verse 2. Now, he goes and he listens and he preaches this message and they change and they repent. And then actually it's very interesting in the end of Jonah 3, it says God repented. God repented, which is, or relented is one of the other translations. But Jonah 4 verse 2 says, so he prayed to the Lord and said, our Lord, <laughs> I just love that. You had that emotion. Lord, I knew you that, I knew that you're going to save them. Like, you don't know this guy. I mean, we should be happy. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? I said, Lord, I told you, you're not going to kill them. Lord, I knew that you're not going to do this. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. What a selfish guy. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. What a prophecy. And then people say, yeah, but what about the God of the Old Testament? Well, there's the God of the Old Testament. There he is, merciful, long-suffering, slow to anger, relenting from doing harm, gracious, merciful. So what happened in Nineveh? What happened in Nineveh? Well, Jesus speaks later and he says, this generation seeks a sign. The only sign they will get is the sign of Jonah. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? That's like, is the whale going to swallow you now, Jesus? Who's next? Jonah 4.11 from the New Living Translation says, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? The New Living Translation there speaks and it, it highlights the fact that they were living in darkness. Spiritual darkness. And then messenger comes. Messenger shines the light and they say, Oh, we've been living in darkness. Let's repent. And God changes his mind about like wiping them off the face of the earth. How important is it that we then shine that light? And the messenger is always there to shine the light. The messenger brings light to a dark place. It reminds us that there is hope in a dark time. It reminds us. That's why I speak to pastors in the week um, in Grace Life and out of, and, and, and like, it's still God's church. <laughs> I mean, this week we had to go back to registration because we might be over 50, but we still have free services. There's a reason we have an evening announcement like that, and it's vague because we don't have a venue for tonight yet, but we will have one. Amen. Because the hotel is now doing Springbok rugby stuff. I don't know what that is, but we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're just going to meet. And last week we met in an empty house and it was amazing. We had an amazing evening service. Because first verse I made them read in the service I was uh, from Philemon. And to the church in your house. I'm like, there you go. 
it's, it's fine. In Colossians, the end of Colossians 4, it says, enter the church that's in their house. So our picture of church shouldn't just be big buildings and, um, I want to say, cocks on the, uh, on the towers, like kerktoerings. And, uh, this is church. I mean, this is already quite fancy, I mean. <laughs> We're the lawnies in, in, in town. If I speak to other pastors in town, they're like, sure, you guys, are you the ones meeting at, at Techno Park? I'm like, yes, we are. We are favored, amen? We are favored. Why? Because there's a light that shines. And it's not about the building, but it's about what is on, on the inside. And the other night we had a testimony, one of the guys who's a regular now in the evening services, and he, again, we get this all the time. It wasn't about my great preaching. That's not why he's here, even though he, he likes it. It's not about how good the coffee is, because obviously it can be better, but it was about how people greet him. How people greet him. And they say, okay, but he thought like, okay, that's, they knew I'm, I'm new, so they, they put the extra foot out and they, they do extra. But then he said the next week it just got better. It's like he thought it's going to diminish, but like as we now get to know you, we know that we are family. So hey, when I see my mom and dad on the airport after a long time, I mean, there's hugs. And then we look, who's going to stop us because we're not allowed to hug? But there's love, there's, there's something in it, and that's really just the radiant light that's shining on the inside of all of us. And that's how we then are one as well. And we looked at that earlier from, from 1 John. But Isaiah 9 and verse 2, we're camping in the Old Testament, but I promise you we'll get to Colossians. Isaiah 9 and verse 2 from the Passion Translation says, Those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant light shining upon them. They once lived in the shadows of death, but now a glorious light has dawned. And we're really looking at what is the complete revelation and that means then for me the the metaphor that i get from the word that i want to use this morning is the complete illumination okay a complete revelation requires a complete illumination illumination is when you have good enough light and it's interesting that he says those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant light shining upon them they once lived in the shadows keyword there of death but not a glorious now a glorious light has dawned Remember, the, the Ninevites were living in darkness. So there was a message of light which brought hope. This, heart, this darkness, a lot of time people, I think, give the devil way too much honor. And that we think, oh, it's this dark age, and it's an evil age, and it's the world we live in. But Romans 1.21 gives us just a clue of where this darkness comes from. And it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, where's the demons in that? Where's the devil in that? Well, it's only in your thinking. Vain in your imaginations. You're unthankful, and then your foolish heart is darkened, because it's a slow fade. You, you, you get away from the truth, basically turning your back on the light. Thankfulness, accepting the fullness of night, and acknowledging that you aren't it. <laughs> that's the most difficult thing for a lot of people you aren't it you are not the light he is the light and he shines in us and through us let your light shine let his light shine would be a much better nursery song let your lichy sky no it's not a lichy no 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 it's a blasting radiance of the holy of holies that no one can even look at it is a type of light that people fall over once they encounter it and it blinds them for minimum of three days. It's not three days, it's until they, someone prays for them, like ask Paul about the, the light that he saw. 
It is the light of God that is shining on the inside of us, but it is part of it. Thankfulness really is humility. Because thankfulness says, hey, it's not me. The, the moment you're thankful, you, you're pointing to someone else as the source. Okay? And then what does God do? God gives grace to the humble. We can also say God gives grace to the thankful. Because thankfulness and humility goes together. So, it's not like God is not withholding, but it is like you are turning your face and someone in the, in the pre-service meetings, like he makes his face shine upon you. His radiance, his countenance, he shines upon you. He's this, this glimmer of hope and light and he just, you, like what did Moses look like when he came down the mountain? He had a shining face. What did Stephen look like while they were, or just before, if you interpret it, before they threw the first stone? The word says he had a face like an angel. And then the next thing, they start pounding him with rocks. And what does he do? He speaks to Jesus. So he's just, he's just observing the light. He's, he's looking into the light. And that's why he can say something amazing like, God, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And you know, Jesus said, you'll do what I do in greater things. And we think like raising the dead. But Stephen did what Jesus did by forgiving his very murderers while they're busy doing that. The same works that Jesus did. Forgiveness. Hope, love, forgiveness. That's great works. Yes, we see the miraculous. We saw Allegro out last week. and I mean, we're expected. We want to see stuff like that again. But a word like I had about fatherhood and God wanting to come back, that's a deeper word even because that is a lasting impact. And that's something we should not neglect. I promise you we're going to get to Colossians. So let's get to Colossians 1 and verse 12. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Where? In the light. You see, light really is an amazing concept in the word for us. Verse 13 says, He has delivered us from what? The power of darkness, the opposite of light, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So if it's darkness versus, what's the opposite of darkness? It's light. But here he doesn't contrast it to light. He contrasts it to kingdom, to sonship and love. So how do you bask in the light of God? You meditate on the fact that you are the beloved child of God. You are the beloved child of God. And if God is light, then you look like Him. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from whom? The Father of lights. Some translations refer to the stars there. Like He's the Father of the stars. And you can get that because obviously He made them. But guess what? I'm God, God's Son. So if God is the father of me and he's the father of lights, what that, does that make me? I'm a light. He is the father of the lights. He's the father of all of us. And then we are, the, we, we are the lights because the word says he is the father of the lights. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Last week we had a great word that came out that really um, fitted nicely with the message. This morning we didn't. But one of the songs was really awesome in that I didn't speak to Simone in the week to tell her what's... I know good churches do that and they say this is the message and like align the songs. We just trust the Holy Spirit to do that. I mean, because then I'm also stirred up and I know it's not manufactured. You will light up every shadow was what we sang in the last song. No shadow, he won't light up. No mountain, whatever, was after that because I stuck. I got stuck on the, on the shadows part. I was like, this is amazing. Because the whole message this morning actually is about shadows. Shadows being enlightened. So, 
when was it? It was 27 March. I remember it very well. It was the day after my birthday that we went into lockdown last year. You remember when we thought lockdown is going to be three weeks and then it's done? That, that, that time. And all of a sudden, I mean, we had Google Meets, but that was it. <laughs> I had to set up a place where to, how do you do this? And it took us two days and we took the lights from, um, from Rhenish and we packed up everything when we were still meeting there. And um, I was speaking to Chart over the phone and I was watching YouTube videos on how to set up a home studio to look like something proper and you need to create depth. And you know what? I put the lights up and then some of them make a noise. When you stand here, the lights there, you don't hear the noise. You guys probably know they make a noise because you sit closer to them. And, and they create heat. That's the other thing I realized. And then I was in a small room, one of our, uh, our spare room, and um, Natasha had to move out. That was her office. So she, her office became the dining room table. And I'm telling you all of this. They said, the moment I put the lights on, I thought everything is hunky-dory. And I stand there, and I look in the screen, and I just see shadows. Like, <laughs> there's so many shadows behind me. Now I go phone chart because he's got a home studio. He does some YouTube stuff. Go on YouTube. And you need to figure out how to get rid of the shadows. And you know, the interesting thing for me was the shadows only really became a problem once the light was on. And there's something in there. So as soon as there was more light, there was more shadows. Now what is a shadow? A shadow is just the blockage of light. It's something that's in the way. And yes, it shows you things to come because I can, around the corner, you can see my shadow sometimes if the sun is right before I come around the corner. And that's really the word speaks about the law, which was a shadow of the good things to come. But in essence, you need to have two things to have a shadow. You need to have light and you need to have something blocking the light. Okay, so track with me. The word shadows there and... and I even looked up the Greek, and it still means that. It's not something super weird, shadows or spiritual symbolism. It means the interception or the blockage of light. Okay, That's according to Thayer's Greek lexicon. So he says there's no shadow of turning. There's no blockage of light with God. There's only light. Now, if we think about Christianity as such, there's shadows and there's substance. There's light, and then there's the blockage of light. Now, the thing is, the blockage of light only really becomes a problem once the light shines. Like I said, as soon as I put those spotlights on, there were shadows everywhere. And then what you do is you create filters, and because I know some of you are now wondering, how did you fix it? So let me just give you that so we can move on to the spiritual truth I want to convey. But you, you shine light behind you, and you shine light in front of you, and you put filters on it so that it creates a white wash. Or you shine the lights actually away against the walls and then it doesn't create that spot. That's not the point. The point is as soon as the lights was on, there were shadows. Now we need to ask ourselves if we take that concept further and as soon as Jesus shows up, resurrected Christ, now there's light. Now the light is shone. We, we looked at it from... Um, what was it? Isaiah 9. Those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant light shining upon them. They once lived in the shadows of death, but now a glorious light has dawned. So really, if we think about this concept of shadows, we need to ask ourselves, is there still shadows in my Christian life? Or am I living in the fullness of light and the fullness of the substance of who Christ is? It's a good question because we need to realize how free we are. And the first question then is, is am I really free? Or am I free from the law? of Moses, but maybe under a different set of laws, or traditions, or religion. 
Hebrews 10 and verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Okay, so he's saying as the law was a shadow of what? Things to come, but the law cannot lead to perfection. The book of Hebrews tells us why. It's not because the law was bad, it's because of flesh got in the way. Carnality. Okay? So it says the law dealt with carnality, and the law then created shadows. So what carnality is there still in our Christianity that is creating shadows now that the radiant light is shining? The thing is, now that the radiance of the light is shining, now the shadows are more prevalent. But they're often behind us, so we're not aware of them. Because we get so used to things the way they are, that we forget to see if we are really living in the fullness of Christ. It says there, it speaks about perfection. So it says, the law cannot make you perfect. He goes on to say, but something else can. Okay? We are complete. We are perfect. Colossians 2 and verse 16. This is beautiful. It says, Let no man judge you, therefore, in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day or the new moon, or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow, there you have it, of things to come, but the body or the substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. Now, I was on the beach yesterday because it was a beautiful day, and I was playing with little Thranku, the three-year-old, and... Uh, he didn't want to play with my shadow. I was trying. I was like, look at the shadow, because I'm trying to teach him what a shadow is, but he doesn't care about the shadow if I'm there. But so much of Christianity still wants to play with the shadows, but we have the substance, we have the body, which is Christ. We have Jesus right there with us. So yeah, you can do fun things on the wall, and you can do tricks, but that's not really like, if you have a wall shadow, you make a shadow of a bird, and there's a real bird. What is the three-year-old going to run to? The real bird. I mean, but somehow, the more mature we get, the more we get stuck on the shadows when the substance is there. Listen to this from the message translation. It says, So don't put up with anyone pressuring you into details of diet, worship services, or holy days. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. Again, when do shadows appear? When the light shines. But then we need to what? Get out of the way so that the light can have its full glory. Full enlightenment. What does Paul pray? Ephesians 1.17 Let the eyes of your heart see. No, be enlightened. Let the eyes of your heart be enlightened to see what? Basically, he's just saying get out of the way and believe all that Christ has done. Enjoy the fullness of that light. To Luke 1, we're looking at a prophecy from Zechariah. So Luke 1, 67 says, Now this father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, So this is John the Baptist's father. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His prophets, who have seen the world, or since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which was swore to His father Abraham. So he gives us this prophecy and says, Hey guys, this is what's about to happen. This is an oath. This is from, from long ago. This is a promise to what? To Abraham. And this is about to happen. But then what is about to happen? 
The promise of Abraham. Oh, you can make good songs about that, but we don't know what's the substance of the promise. Amen. It's not many children. It's not a great flock. It's not many lands. It's not any of that because all that is carnality. All that is creating shadows. But Galatians 3 and verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Where do we receive it? In Christ. Romans 8.1, no condemnation. That's not what it's about. If I ask you what's the no condemnation scripture, you all say Romans 8.1, hopefully. Good, good students. But it says to those who are where? In Christ. So it's an in Christ reality, and the knock-on effect is no condemnation. Here is the same. It says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles where? In Christ. So the Gentiles are now also in Christ. And what did um, the, the people say to Jesus often? Our father Abraham. And Jesus says, you don't know who your father is. Because now it's not about the Jews, it's about the Gentiles. But it's not about Abraham, it's about Jesus. And the whole book of Galatians basically is about whether Abraham had many sons or one son. And it's written about the son of Abraham, which is Jesus. Where the Israelites thought they were the sons of Jesus, uh, of, of, of Abraham. But I think we'll maybe go to Galatians after Colossians, but we're not there yet. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Then verse 18 is interesting, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, says, For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would be not the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. The light is going to shine. It's a promise. The light is the Holy Spirit. Receive it. That's basically the word in a nutshell. Verse 21. Is there a conflict then between God's laws and God's promises? And that's a very good question. The God of the old, the God of the new, the God of the covenant of Moses, the God of the, the spiritual covenant that we live in now. The New Living says, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only, only by believing in Jesus Christ. Only by believing. Now remember I said the shadows come when the light shines. So we need to ask ourselves, if it's only by believing, what other things are we still doing that's not believing? Because we all said amen to only believing. But then we still have a lot of tradition and things and Sunday mornings work like this. And I remember my parents, my mom telling us when, when she grew up, they were not allowed to go even on the beach on a Sunday. Now, we started off with the verse from, from Colossians that says, do not let people catch you up with holy days and Sabbaths. Now, I love Sundays because I get to see all of you. Amen. <laughs> Sunday for me is, is it's that I work the most hours of my week on a Sunday. So now am I out of the law? Or am I breaking covenant? Or I'm not enjoying the rest? You see, if it counts for the pastor, then it should count for all of us. It's a day we get together. Thank you, Lord, that in our calendar we have got two days off. You go to Albania, you only have one day weekends. So they struggle to do church because on that one day you need to see family, you need to do admin, you need to mow the lawn because they work for six days. But now, what we do there, we, we meet on a Saturday because it's just, that's the off day. So and it's not like God's not going to show up because it's on a different day of the week. 
God doesn't have to show up because when we show up, He shows up. Amen? Because He's on the inside of us. The light shines. So let's go further from Luke 1. Luke 1, 73 says, The oath which we swore to our fathers Abraham. So we, we stop there. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our lives. That's an amazing little thing in there. I don't know if you catch it. That we will serve God without fear. How much of the Old Testament is about fearing God and now He prophesies something and says, Hey guys, there's something new. What was promised is now coming. But part of the, that is that we will serve Him without fear. Why? Because He's not going to be angry with us anymore. In holiness and righteousness. So who's, who's the, the subject there? Is it God who's holy and righteous? No, before Him. So we are in holiness and righteousness, but we are before God. So holiness and righteousness is where we are. It's also obviously where God is. And then later on, Paul needs to write to us from 1 Corinthians, is it 1, 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he explains this. And he says, you are now the righteousness of God. Where? In Christ. What is the, the idea of the verse? Not righteousness. In Christ reality. In Christ reality then means you are holy. If you're in Christ, then you must be righteous. If you're in Christ, then you must be full of power. If you're in Christ, you must be full of light. If you're in Christ, there's obviously no condemnation because he's not going to die again. Okay. So once we get the in Christ realities, we see all the rest. It says, in holiness and righteousness before him, all the days of our lives. Sundays, brother, then we go into the righteous holiness and we take up our shoes. And, no. All the days of our lives. That sounds like a soapy, doesn't it? <laughs> this is much, much less drama, I promise you. <laughs> There's no fear. For you will go before the face of the Lord um, to prepare His ways. Now He's prophesying over John. To give knowledge... Sorry, missed my place. To give, him no, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. You see what Jonah said? I knew that you like this. Now Zechariah prophesies the same from the New Testament. From the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. The day spring from on high. Really there is the dawn or the star of light is the, the word. It says the light is shining. When does a star come? In the night. The day spring is after the darkness. That's when the sun comes up. Now this morning, I realized, I checked these things because I need to get up early on a Sunday. This is the darkest Sunday of the year. Amen? And I'm not meaning in spiritually, so please relax. <laughs> it is, by next week, the sun is going to be up earlier than this morning because tomorrow, and, and depending on how you count, the we're heading for summer. Amen? And I know because of my mother's birthday. But also because I need to get up early on a Sunday. But the sun comes, and then what happens to the darkness? It disappears. It says, The day spring from on high has visited us. The darkness is leaving because the Messiah has come. To give, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. I hope you recall Isaiah 9 verse 2 now. That says there's a light coming who's going to shine. Now he rehashes. They say, hey, that, that prophecy, you all know it, Isaiah 9, it's now. 
This is it. And then we sit here 2,000 years later and we're still trying to figure out what happened and why there's this spiritual darkness when there isn't. It's thinking of people, it's unthankfulness in their hearts and then their foolish hearts grow darkened. But we should not be so occupied with spiritual darkness. If we have the day spring like has dawned, there's no fear more in God. We are righteous, holy, we're in Him. We should just let the light shine. And I've said it for years, and I'll say it again this morning. What happens to the darkness when you switch on the light? It disappears. So we are invited to live in the fullness of that. That give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And that's really what we do if we're in Christ. We need to do and establish what He has done. What a promise. What a promise for us. Luke eleven twenty nine. 29, they ask a sign. Jesus says, you're a perverse generation. You only want signs and, and, and wisdom. And he says, I give you a sign. The only sign I give you is the sign of Jonah. Verse 30 says, what happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God has sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to those people who are sent by God. Verse 32 says, thou there's a greater than Jonah. He says, Jonah was able to turn the whole town of Nineveh around, 120,000 people. Why? Because they were in spiritual darkness. Now there's a greater light. Because Jonah was a shadow, a type, something that was to come. But now we have the substance, the fullness, which is not only going to save 120,000 people, but the whole of eternity for all mankind. If they believe. If they say yes. If they turn to the light and let the light shine on them. You see, the sign of Jonah that Jesus speaks about really is the translation from darkness to light. It's from Hades, the place of the dead, from the belly of the fish. And you can just think about that moment when the fish spat him out. <laughs> it must have been a roller coaster of emotions. Am I going? Where am I going? What's on the other side? But the moment I believe that he saw light, he had hope. And that is really the day spring that has like, been lit for us is, is there's hope because there's light. And a day spring means it's after the darkness. So Christ really is that light. Then he goes on, and from that context, he goes into verse 33, Luke 11. says, no one, when he has lit a lamp. We were just speaking about Jonah, the sign of Jonah, but you see how it's really about the light. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Why did Paul pray, let them be enlightened by the eyes of the inner man, basically? Because that's the eye that we should look with. We don't look with eyes. We won't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Verse 35. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. The whole body can be full of light if it's in Christ. You see, the thing is, we are not, God is not withholding light from us, because shadows doesn't mean there's no light. Shadows means there's something in the way of the light. And God is the fullness of light, so the only shadows that we're experiencing is due to our own doing. Due to other things we don't understand, or we have a knowledge problem, or an understanding problem, or a sin problem in the sense of a habit thing, 
a temptation that we can't get rid of. It's not like God doesn't want to save you. God is shining the light as bright as He's ever going to shine. The day spring has come. The light has shined. Sickness. It's just a dark, it's an it's a unrenewed mind in terms of the power of God inside of you. Because if you realize the power of God inside of you is the same power that rose Christ from the dead, I want to see a sickness live in you. <laughs> so we can either fight sickness or we can wake up to the revelation of who Christ is on the inside of us. And one of the, the side effects is healing. Romans 8 tells us clearly that. And even if you don't get healed here, you're going to have a, a resurrected body that's going to be just like Jesus. Amen? That's going to be awesome. Colossians 1 verse 12, my last verse for the day, says, Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. The footnote there is by enlightening us. By enlightening us. And it's so, it's so important, this concept then. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness. <laughs> is that past tense or present tense or continuous tense or future tense? Or is that just done? It's done. And then he even adds in the, in the Passion, it says, He has done it completely. And has translated us into the kingdom realm of His beloved Son. For in the Son, verse 14, all our sins are cancelled and we have the release of redemption through His very blood. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. God often wakes me up with a verse and the verse He woke me up with this week was um, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Now, I think I mentioned it last week in one of the services, but if you do a bank reconciliation in accounting, is that what you do is you look at what's in your bank and you do journal entries to make sure that what is in the bank is equal to what's in the books. Oh, well, that's, that's a cool concept, but it probably means something else. It's probably more relational or it's more... And I went and I looked at the Greek word there for reconciliation and it speaks about... Coins and accounting. So if we need to be reconciled to God, it means that if God is, this is the balance of God. You can think whatever amount or light or like, what is the value? And it says, be reconciled to God. God was in Christ, okay? So the question then is, how is that possible at all? Like, how can I be my value, like, you see where, where this is going, actually, if you take it literal. Like someone said to me, you can't take the Bible that literal. I'm like, no, you better do. That's why I go, look it up. It's an accounting term. God was where? In Christ. Doing what? Reconciling the world unto Himself. Balancing the books. We are where? Romans 8, 1. In Christ. And guess what? Christ is in God and God is in Christ. That's why it's totally possible to be reconciled. We're not God. Please, that's, I'll never ever say that. But we are made in His image and likeness. We are one with Him. We are one with His Son. God was where? In Christ. Doing what? Reconciling the world unto Himself. John 17. Jesus prays, let them be in us as we are in each other. Let them know that I love them with the same love that you loved me and that you love them as well. 
very bad paraphrase, but like it's so it's so intertwined. It's like when you go um, notice elastic bands, balls, like we used to make those bouncy balls with elastic bands, and you don't know which is which, and you, you can't really. If you start taking it apart, then the whole thing sort of comes apart because you don't know what is part of what. And that's really what John 17 speaks about. We are so one with God, we don't really know which is which and where, is, where it goes. And if we then are reconciled with God, and we are one with Christ, and Christ is in God, and God is in Christ, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, then 2 Corinthians 5.21 all of a sudden now brings even more I want to say more righteousness. <laughs> you can't have more righteous than Jesus, can you? No. But you are as righteous, for it says that you are now the righteousness of whom? Of God. Where? In Christ. We are all one in the light. And there's no shadow of turning, because He is the very source of light. He is the Father of lights. So I'm inviting you on a journey where we're going to get rid of some shadows. Because if God is the fullness of light, I don't want to be in the way of any of that light shining in me and shining through me onto others. Because the Word says clearly here, no one puts a lamp on the ground. Because I don't want to put Jesus on the ground and just take Him out on a Sunday and rub Him like a genie like for a wish. Now I want to shine Him brightly. I want to make Jesus famous. I want to shine Jesus from the rooftops. And guess what? Like God is the Father to the fatherless. He works through people. God shines His light, but He does it through people. It's not a great testimony of someone says Jesus showed up to me in a dream. It's a horrible testimony for me because it means the Christians didn't do their job. A much better testimony is like we read in the Bible where this man came and he prayed and, and Oh, what are you reading? Oh, you're reading Isaiah. It's not about Isaiah. Let me tell you. Get on the bus with me. It's about Jesus. Believe. Get saved. More light. So we're fighting darkness out there, but it's not that we are fighting darkness. We need to, to lit, light some lamps. I remember when um, we were on a camp and I made these dates with Jesus. I made like printouts for everyone and then you would just take a candle and you go sit somewhere and you've got verses and everything there together. And I only had one lighter. And uh, I was thinking, oh, this is about 20 people. This is going to take a while. And, and I lit the first candle and I turned around and I was looking for something and I was like, okay, now I'm going to have to, I can't find what I'm looking for. So let me just leave that and light the candles and then I can look for it. And as I turned around, all the candles were lit. Because this guy turned around and two people lit their candles and they turned around and two others lit their candles and before I know it I only lit one candle and 20 candles were lit and that is the only thing God asks us take the light that he is in us and let's light one candle and let those people light one candle and let's light two candles and let's light another candle and let's share the light without any shadows let's share the brightness the fullness of his glory the goodness of Jesus our Savior, our day spring, our morning star. So Father, we thank you this morning that there is no more shadow of turning. There's no darkness in you. Father, we thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace. We thank you for light, Father. We thank you that you've given us the fullness, the complete package. 
And now you give us the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us into the fullness of this revelation of who Christ is, the hope of glory. And thank you, Lord, that as we all go on our merry ways, that you go with us, that you share with us, that you walk with us. I just feel a strong urgency to, to live more boldly as Christians. To not be ashamed of the light. And to let it shine brightly. To speak to people boldly about Christ. About the good news. About Jesus. About what is theirs. And if you want to also live that. You want to you go for it. And... <laughs> You want to get your flesh out of the way. I want you to stand for a moment and I'm just going to pray for us. I'm standing because I want to be more bold. I want to see more people come to Christ. I want to see the world change. I want to shine the light of Jesus. I want to put my light high so that people can see it. They will come to me even more in times of darkness, in times of trouble. So Father, we just avail ourselves to your light. And we know that boldness comes through spending time with you. <laughs> and preaching that awakens the heart. We preach Christ. Might be a stumbling block. But not for us. It's the sweet smelling aroma of hope. And we know that when we show up, darkness leaves because light is always stronger. It's always more. And right now, I believe we all know of a person, maybe more, that needs to hear about the light, that needs to hear about Jesus. Maybe they live in Zimbabwe, maybe they don't. Maybe they work with you, maybe they work for you, maybe they, work, they live around the corner. But I'm not going to ask you to make a commitment now and then put you under condemnation. I just want you to realize what you have on the inside of you is all that person needs. <laughs> it's as simple as that. What we have on the inside of us is exactly what those people need. And we can't accept it for them, but we should also not reject it on their behalf. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.